Welcome back to My Best Friends and Engineer. I'm Libby. And I'm Lexi. And today we have an interview for you guys with um, Suzanne. She is going to talk all about what it's like to work at NASA as a controller um, talking to the International Space Station. So we had a really awesome conversation about what her job is and like what her educational background is and some hobbies she does on the side. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into it, Lexi, give us an update. Give us your tea of the week. How has your week or your weekend? How was your weekend? My weekend, it was splendid. So Friday we recorded, very chill day. Saturday, just had some friends over, did some little, like hosted a little fourth thing. And I don't know if you're the same way, but I get so nervous when I host something because like I make sure the house is spotless. I set up everything so nice. And I'm like, I know they don't care. Like I moved all of like our mail. I was like, I can't have the mail on the table. <laughs> so it was just funny because I was like, I feel like I haven't hosted in a while. So very chill. Weather was splendid. And then Sunday we did the boat and hung out at my friend's house in the city. And then yesterday just rejuvenated. We did brunch in the city. Then I came home. But I feel like after a holiday weekend, like today was so hectic. There's so much, like so many follow-ups. Like we were working with a Mexico site and they were following up and I'm like, oh, they didn't have like the holiday weekend or anything. I don't think. Yeah. I was going to say, so, how many, how many emails did you have in that inbox when you opened it up this morning? Oh my God. It wasn't too bad. I think it was only 13. So that's good. That's pretty good because I posted actually, I, I digress as well. I posted a TikTok and I was like, it was a joke. You know, one of those memes, like, I don't know what the sound was. It was like, it was like someone saying like, oh, don't tell me what I don't need to know. It's like me when I yeah. get 42, like work emails. And then someone commented like, I get 42 during lunch, like all this stuff. And oh. I'm like, okay, I do. <laughs> email is like, <laughs> oh, that's my, that's, that's exactly what I said. I said, I read that. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I'm like thinking, okay, so email is very big in my job, but I don't get that many emails. It's more like just... I do my own protocols, my work, follow-ups. Like, it's not, like, constantly sending emails back and forth. So I wanted to ask, like, how many... Because you were in project management. I feel like that you get so many emails and updates. Oh, so I, get, be... I get probably, on average, like, 80 to 100. It's terrible. Really? Like, that's, that's insane. Like, I couldn't even imagine, like... I don't know. They're just like, that's why I get so stressed out at work when I have so many meetings during the day. Because then at the end of the day, my inbox is, like... Probably not 80 to 100. That's probably me being a baby and exaggerating. Probably more like <laughs> in the 50s. But still. Yeah. But um, I, I get what you're saying, though, about the Mexican um, plant or wherever you were working with them. Because we work with people in China. And I told them on, I think they were asking for things like on Thursday or something of last week. And I was like, um, sure, I'll get that to you by the end of next week. There's going to be a little bit of a delay because of the Independence Day holiday, but <laughs> we'll work yeah. on that right when we get back. <laughs> yeah, but it was interesting because I was just thinking, it's like a lot of comments on my documents is kind of where I get my emails, I guess. Like, they mm -hmm. just, you make edits on that. So, um, but yeah, so other than that, today was just hectic getting, like, it's just always, like, a little... It's always slow in the morning. It's just, you know. So, but yeah, how about you? How was your week? You took some PTO. You and you were busy, though. Let's hear all about it. Oh, my gosh. So busy. And I kind of wanted to touch on it in today's episode because I feel like even though I have been doing, like, the time blocking and everything, like, I still feel like I'm failing at time management. I actually had a conversation with my boss about this on, let's see, I took PTO on Friday. So him and I had a discussion on Thursday because I asked him, I was like, you know, just wanted to check in. I just finished up like two months in this role. Like, how do you think I'm doing? He was like, no, all good things. 
just there's one thing I noticed. Sometimes you write things down and um, like you don't, I ask you about it the next day and you haven't done it yet. And I was like, because I got so much going on, my man. <laughs> but like, obviously, I didn't, if he's listening, he's going to be like, oh, shaking my head. No, I obviously didn't say that. But um, I was just like realizing that, I don't know, I've always had like a lot on my plate with work, but in this job, I, I feel like I'm still struggling trying to figure out like what actually is an emergency and what like isn't. Because, you know, like if everything's priority, nothing's priority. So definitely, yeah. Kind of like totally still struggling with that, but. So do you think that they expect you to kind of do, like, bring work home and kind of finish it up? So like, that you know? was the thing. And he was like, because that's kind of what I was thinking. So I was like, obviously, I'm new. I want to, like, do well at my job. And I talked to my mentors and I talked to my boss. And he was like, you should not be working more than 40 hours a week. And if you are, there's a problem. And, like, let's figure it out. Because I I think, like, people at this company sometimes, um, like, one of my mentors was telling me, she says that people will be, like, silent sufferers and they, like, won't voice concerns and they'll just, like, work all this overtime that's unnecessary and then they just, like, out of the blue quit and everybody's like, what? 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 Mm-hmm. And so my boss, he's so transparent about that. He's like, if you are struggling with time management or something, tell me and I'll help you figure out what you need to work on next. And he's like, you should not think of that as an embarrassment or like you being bad at your job. Like that is what I want you to do. And so I think that is way different than what I'm used to, you know? So definitely. Cause it's is. like, if you're in the meetings all day, when do you do the work? And like, I never get that. Like they always set all these meetings and I'm like, okay, someone has to do the work, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and so then it's like they're I'm, asking you. I'm still you. struggling. I'm yeah. still struggling with that. And what I started to do was I started, um, I asked my mentor, she's like, start blocking off two to three weeks in advance time on your calendar that says doing work so that people can't schedule yeah. meetings there. And I'm, so I'm going to start doing that. But um, that's like a little update on work. Life-wise, this weekend was so fun. I felt kind of guilty because I totally neglected my phone and like social media and like, I don't know. It's it's not that important, but you know, it's it's something that I like to prioritize posting on TikTok and Instagram and stuff. And I totally didn't even look at my phone this weekend. It was a complete social weekend on Friday. Um, it was uh, two of our friends' birthdays, so we had a birthday party to go to. On I see, like I'm like forgetting even what I did. On Saturday, <laughs> we went to the Dave Matthews Band concert, and that was so much fun brought me back to my college days we took like Love. a party bus we like had a little darty Ooh. beforehand and then we took a party oh bus. my gosh got that's there so like, fun i know we got there at like 4 30 p.m and the concert wasn't until like 6 or 6 30 so we're just like there having a good time getting lit <laughs> in the fields of wisconsin outside of our little school bus and all these buses like pull up and it's super nice because then we all split the cost of the bus and nobody has to worry about like being irresponsible with driving home or anything like that so we did that but my sister came and she went on a different bus that was like a bus full of younger kids and they their bus on the way home broke down and like on the side of the road and just like imagine all these drunk kids trying to get home from a concert (laughs) at like midnight and the school bus breaks down and so luckily her best friend her best friend's mom was at the concert and drove like herself, like her and a friend went or something. And so they caught them, like they caught her friend's mom on the way home and like, please pick me up on the side of the road. So then the mom slowed down and they hopped in and they were like, see ya bitches. And like just left everybody <laughs> who was in the broken down bus. But 
that's so funny that's so lucky yeah yeah um okay then going back to your first comment though about like blocking off time so Mm. to our listeners you know maybe they're starting a new job or maybe they're you know at an internship I feel like you maybe shouldn't do that in an internship though blocking off time I feel like that might be frowned upon but um you know my manager I sent him over something I said oh have you had a chance to look at this yet and he made a comment he's like oh no let me put some time on you know my calendar tomorrow to look at it and that, that's when I started realizing, oh, people actually do this. Because I, I wouldn't want to kind of block off my schedule with, I don't know. I just, I, I know I've seen some TikToks, people are like, oh, I can see what the subject is. or But like, if you put the subject like working on X deliverable, like, I feel like that's valid. But it's like a good reminder yeah. as well. So I, I well, totally that's support like, that. That's why I didn't do that in the first place, which sounds so stupid. But I thought I was going to get in trouble if I like blocked off my calendar. I don't know, because I feel like some companies, yeah, if you block it off then they're like why why do you always have your calendar full yeah. or whatever but no i talk i like talked to people and they were like why would that be why would you get in trouble for doing that and i was like i don't know i was just having anxiety and freaking out but to your point about like the subject title i've just been making it time to work and that way if someone does schedule a meeting with me and they want to schedule it over the timed time to work time people are pretty good in my company about being like hey i noticed you had your t- calendar blocked off to do some work do you mind if i schedule a meeting over it so that's what i'm like hoping the plan is but i'll have to let you guys know how it goes yeah keep us updated yeah i feel like it's like you can always just have that conversation with your manager too like anyone's listening and hasn't done this i feel like just ask them hey is this acceptable you know i want to be available for meetings but like are you okay with this usually Mm -hmm. like you said they're not gonna say no that's silly but you know just again get that transparency and paper trail like maybe even sending an email and being because if he comes back and says or she not gonna you know say Mm -hmm. he or she but anyone (laughs) um if they come back yeah if they come back and they're like oh well why are you doing this you're not available you're not being available you're like oh well actually xyz you told me on this day haha Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's acceptable definitely so but yeah so a little life lesson in our little update a little life lesson that's what we're here for (laughs) yes Should we get into our tea from our listeners? Yeah, tea of the week. So if you guys are a new listener here, we do tea of the week each week before each episode. We post a question box on our Instagram so that we can celebrate your wins as well. So Lexi, do you want to start us off with an entry? Yes. So I will read Brina's entry. So she said she started my full first full-time role after being in a contract position the last year amazing i know that that is always so stressful if you're in a you know yeah round of applause let me round of applause um i know that's always so stressful because i feel like it's really really um common in pharma to get contractors and then they get like a full-time role but i know it's really stressful for that period because you're like okay i want to do well so congratulations yeah i feel like that can probably feel so relieving too to like finally be like oh a little safety net you know got the full time yeah so that's awesome. The benefits. <laughs> yeah, that too. Oh my God, that too. Um, Ruth Ann says she is celebrating going on a study abroad in Italy, taking three civil engineering courses over there. Um, I am so jealous. I never studied abroad. That is probably one of my biggest regret- regrets of college was not studying abroad. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about it, seriously, try to fit it in because wow, I wish I would have done it. Yeah, I completely agree because we had one, it was kind of the same thing, like three weeks in um, Austria, I think, was the Mm -hmm. engineering one. And I was like, no, I'll get an internship. This was my sophomore year. 
girl. I, I mean, know, I'm like, happy with the internship and everything. Why but were I'm we like, trying to be like, so I professional? Like, uh, I know. I guess I wish we had a reality check earlier, but um, I mean, you can always like cut your internship. You can do like an abbreviated one, you know, like whatever. Life lessons. What would you What would you tell your younger self now? Exactly. That's what study abroad. Go to Go to Austria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And then I'll close out with Julie's entry. She said she gets to see her boyfriend after seventy days of long distance. Woohoo! That is Woo! awesome. Have so much fun. I cannot. I cannot do that. That would be. That would be a lot. I I did it so for with Brett for a little bit. Uh, our last semester of college, oh, yeah, cause cause of school, we started dating. Right? Yeah. The last yeah, we started dating this summer, and then I had one one more semester because I graduated in winter technically. And, oh, it was. G- girl, yeah. that is amazing that you're seeing him because I feel you. That was tough. Amazing. Awesome. Well, you can find those entries if you want to ever submit something good that happened or something. Maybe you have some tea. Maybe something crazy happened at work. But you can submit that on on our Instagram. We usually post a story whenever we um, record. So make sure you're following. On our Instagram, you can go to our bio where we have the Facebook group link um, as well as other submission entries. You can dabble. You can go explore and see. Yes, definitely. And as always, if you guys like this episode, be sure to share it on your social media, tag us, uh, leave a rating and review, take a screenshot and post it to our Google forum that is in the show notes and in the link in our bio on Instagram. We're doing a giveaway. So um, we're going to be giving away someone a $100 Visa gift card. So be sure you're hopping on that. You don't want to pass up that free moolah. And we certainly appreciate the reviews and we love reading um, the written submissions. So I think with that, any any other last comments before we get into our interview with Suzanne? Nope, I think that's it. I'm excited for you guys to listen. Today, we have another great guest on the podcast. We're welcoming on Susie. She's going to give us a little bit of background about what she does for work, what she majored in, and all her things that she's up to with being a woman in STEM. So Susie, do you want to give us a little bit of an elevator pitch for some of our listeners who may not follow you already? Um, yeah, so my account is at Sue on Instagram, and it's really just about empowering women in STEM and empowering all kinds of women, but mostly women in STEM. Um, I'm a flight controller for the International Space Station at NASA Marshall Space Flight Center, and that's me. Awesome. That sounds so cool. Can you give a little background of what a flight controller is and kind of what your role responsibilities are? Yeah, so I am an operations controller for the International Space Station, and what my duties are is making sure that the astronauts get their science done safely on the International Space Station. Um, So we make sure that they do all of their payload science and everything about their procedures are safe, and we work with the payload developers to make sure that the astronauts are doing everything that they can to get the science um, out of their payload uh, so that they can continue their research. Okay, that sounds like such a cool job. Um, How did you get into this? So, like, if someone is listening and they're like, oh, my God, that sounds like such a cool job. I want to do it. What did you go to college in? What was your educational background? And and maybe if you could touch on, like, any experience you had while you were getting your educational degree to help get you to this point. Yeah, um, so I have a bachelor's of mechanical engineering for the University of Kentucky. I started at NASA as an intern in summer of 2016, and then I became a co-op in 2017 um, until I graduated. And then I became a full-time engineer at NASA doing 3D printing, uh, metal and plastic additive manufacturing for the SLS and RS-25 engines and all kinds of cool stuff for NASA. 
Um, and then I became a in-space manufacturing engineer for the project office at NASA, developing payloads to get to the International Space Station. And then after that, <laughs> I became a flight controller. Um, so it kind of just, you know, domino effect into becoming a flight controller. If you want to become a flight controller, though, NASA is hiring flight controllers all the time. We have a center here in Huntsville, Alabama, but we also have one in Houston, which is Mission Control. Um, and all of it is about the International Space Station, and they are literally hiring people constantly. Okay, this is going to be a silly question, probably. But this is kind of going back to your initial kind of description of your job. What is a payload? In, I your... bring that too. Okay, oh, yeah. I was like, oh my god, I have to ask. I'm like, I, I can't like, go. Should I ask that? I was like, I can't go this whole interview <laughs> pretending that I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's hilarious. Um, I just assume that people know what that is, and like, that's a very like nuanced, sciency, uh, International Space Station, NASA kind of situation. So a payload um, is on either launch vehicles or the International Space Station. For the International Space Station, they're about yay big. They're like two feet tall, two and a half feet across. Um, and it's basically a box for science. Um, and they have uh, thermal plugs and power plugs and water plugs, anything that you could need to successfully run a science experiment in space. Um, so we just use a, you know, blanket term payload for whatever that science is inside. It can be absolutely anything. The payload could be its own facility. Like we have um, the Microscience Gravity Glove Box inside of the International Space Station. And it, it is its own express rack. It, it's its own rack on the space station, but it is considered a payload. And then we also have smaller payloads that go inside that rack. <laughs> and it's just, it's like a you know, Russian doll where it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> you just put stuff in it. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for that description. What kind of science experiments? And again, this might be such a dumb question, but I am someone who's like not like in the space industry, so I have, I'm com coming in completely ignorant. So what kind of science experiments are these astronauts doing on the International Space Station? Um, so, personally, I have worked with, there's hundreds of payloads and experiments on the International Space Station at absolutely at any given time. Um, so the ones that I worked on, on getting them to the International Space Station were all um, metal or plastic 3D printing additive manufacturing machines. So we have small scale 3D printers on the ISS and that's a payload. So our science for that is seeing how we can print in space, uh, but there's also other ones that may be more familiar with, we've grown lettuce in space. We've grown um, chili peppers, hash green chili peppers in space, and the astronauts got to eat them. I was actually on console for that, and it was really awesome. Um, but I mean, it varies from, you know, seeds to plants to, we had a Barbie experiment on the space station just a couple, of, like six months ago or something like that. And the astronauts, like, they had a, they had a plan like the Barbie Mattel had a plan and it was like, okay, arrange the Barbies like this. And then they did it and they took a picture and then they're like, okay, next thing. Like that's also a payload. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it could be anything ranging. And I mean, in the past we've had perfume bottles, just taking a picture in front of the window. That's a payload. Um, we had, oh, it's been many years, five or six years ago, Nickelodeon sent slime in the space and the astronauts <laughs> like find each other. <laughs> that's so funny that's great marketing for nickelodeon they're like take a video yeah. 
So is there any payload when, you know, you throughout your time at NASA that you significantly remember that you really enjoyed working on? Like maybe a very interesting one, like the Barbie one sounded interesting, but what is, what was your most exciting one? Um, so I always love working with um, the veggie facility. So where we actually grow the plants of their choosing that they actually get to eat. And I loved working with it because the astronauts love working with it so much because it's like a little part of home on the station, right? And I love plants. <laughs> so anytime that we got to open the veggie facility and the astronauts, they were always just so happy to be working with something green, something you know that they created on the station and it felt a little less like they were floating out in space <laughs> yeah definitely um i kind of want to get into a little bit of your day to day as a job as a controller because it sounds like you've given us like a little bit of an overview of what you've done and worked on but okay kind of a multi-part question but are there multiple controllers or are you or are you the only controller and like are you able to give us a high level day-to-day -day of a life as a controller yeah so like i mentioned we have two facilities we have one in johnson and in houston texas they take care of all of the the life of the iss and the astronauts themselves um, and my facility in huntsville is all about payloads so we do every bit of science that the astronauts do on the ISS is through Huntsville. Um, and there's an entire room of controllers. I am an operations controller, so I was really like um, the person that in integrates the entire station in a science sense. Um, and then we have people who are in charge of where things are, that's stowage. We have the uh, rack officers and they are in charge of sending commands. And then we have the payload operations director and he they're in charge of the entire room. We have data people, we have um, safety people. Um, we, this is all just within our own facility. And then uh, Houston has way more than we do. And they are like, um, they control the attitude of the ISS. They control um, if we're going to hit like a piece of debris. There's all types of people over there. And then we have flight who is in charge of the whole ISS. Um, and we take shifts. So all positions are manned, at least in Huntsville, 24-7. Um, so we work night shift, we work swing shifts, we work day shift, we work all over the place. Um, day to day, if you are on console, is you go on for your shift and you sit on console and you are the person present for whatever my position for your payload operations. So we'll have procedures that we look through. We'll make sure that we know all the hazards, all the pinch points, anywhere that the astronaut maybe could ask a question, we have the answer to it. Um, so for the whole, eight hours and you're there two hours before and you stay a little bit after to make sure that all of your logs are done so that the next person coming on knows what to expect. Yeah. Oh my it's God. <laughs> Libby's face is like, oh my gosh. I'm just like in shock right now. I'm like, I could not do that job. That sounds like so much work. <laughs> it is so much work. So going off of that shifts, um, so you mentioned that it's 24-7. How does that schedule kind of work out? Like when you were interviewing for the position, did you were you told what shifts you might be working? Kind of if you have to work third shift or, you know, I don't know if third, I know that the shift numbers kind of vary, but like for third shift for my role, it's like 7 p.m. to like 7 a.m., I think. But can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, um, everyone works all shifts. Um, so there isn't like a, oh, you're hired for first shift or you're hired for second. Like everyone has to work all the shifts. And we do four days on, four days off. And then after the, each four days, you switch shifts. So it's whatever you're scheduled for, really. Oh, okay, wait. So that's kind of cool. So is the four days on, four days off for the entire duration of your job? Or is that only when you're on console? Or are you always on console? So we do, yeah, so we do console sets where you're scheduled to be on console for so many shifts or whatever um and it's just whatever the schedule is sometimes it's six weeks sometimes it's 12 weeks i don't know whatever whatever they need from you um and when you're off console when you're not on a console uh set you're doing um engineering change requests operation change requests we're working with the payload developers to make sure that we are getting them the science they need um we're training new trainees we're there's so much to do when you're not on console and there's even more to do when you are <laughs> Can you talk about managing that type of schedule? Like, do you, what are the challenges with that? Or do you really enjoy it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not really. I, I, um, I struggle with sleep changes a lot. Um, So it's been pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. That is crazy. First of all, props to you for doing that job. Um, (laughs) What are, you mentioned there are these procedures that, Um, either you monitor or control or write or maybe I'm getting it wrong but could you go a little bit more into that are these procedures for how the astronauts can run the science experiments or what is that about yes so they are very very intricate detailed procedures written by the payload developers for exactly what they want the astronaut to do for their science it is written down to pick up this tool from this location it is precision to like an absolute science and we all work with the payload developers to make sure that the procedure is correct um with even down to like your wrench that you're looking for is right here in this box like we they know where we know where everything is to make sure that they're doing it right um and it's even to like turn a quarter turn it is so precise and as the oc i have to know what every single procedure is how it's going to be accomplished, if it's correct, to make sure that the astronaut knows exactly what they're doing. Um, And I actually had the opportunity to go to Houston on a training trip, and we got to do procedures like the astronauts. We were trained for basically a week to do, like we did astronaut training basically, it was really awesome. Um, So the procedures, we're reading them, I'm going on console, I'm like, oh, come on, they should be able to do this, right? (laughs) And then you you get to do it yourself, and you're like, oh my gosh like it's a wonder that they ever get any of this done ever and they they're perfect at it they're so good at it and it's like they're i mean obviously they're trained to do it but it is unreal (laughs) so i do have more questions about payloads i have so many more questions about that but i just wanted to go real quick back to the scheduling um so if someone is coming into a role where they do have to work you know third shift or a varied schedule what are do you have any advice for an individual coming to that type of role um make sure that you are very good at changing your sleep schedule um get an eye mask (laughs) and some blackout curtains definitely that's my advice (laughs) awesome so you mentioned astronaut training what did that consist of when you were at the houston facility yeah so um astronauts when they get selected they live in houston 
and they have a two-year astronaut training program, which goes from fitness tests to um, payload knowledge to how to work tools, honestly. Um, so we did got we got to do um, some of the tool training, which was cool. Uh, we have a specific toolbox for the astronauts, and we got to find out like what all they are and how to use them, and we got to actually do some procedures with them. Um, we got to do some of the astronaut um, exercise equipment. I got to use the treadmill and the, um, they have like a bench. It's, it's so cool. And they also have a bike, like a stationary bike. So we got to not really play on them, but you know, we got to like try them out. Um, and they're a lot different with gravity. I can, <laughs> without gravity, I can imagine. Um, there's a lot of rules on how to use them and the astronauts have to do it two and a half hours a day. Oh, wow. um, we got to see full mock-ups of the of the ISS facility and like walk through it as if we were there in space. And this is the actual stuff that the astronauts use to train before they go up into space and then they're just on their own, you know, without the trainers there. So um, yeah, we got to do a full week of training and it was so cool. It was so cool. So when you're doing that training, is this might be a dumb question, but is there gravity? Or is it like a zero gravity tank? No, no, it's it's just on the ground. Okay, okay. It's just so it's, familiarizing it's yourself with um, the, the payload racks and the payloads themselves, our cold stowage units, and it really just the setup itself of the ISS. Okay, that makes sense. That's Sorry, that's probably a really stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really neat, though. So if you, the astronauts train in the neutral buoyancy lab, which is just a gigantic pool. And inside this pool is a submerged version of the ISS. So the astronauts put on scuba gear and they go down there and they work on, this is for EVAs, which is where they go outside. Um, and obviously that's super scary um, because they're not inside. And so they do a lot of their outside training in this pool. So that, I guess, would be their only experience with zero gravity <laughs> before they actually get to go. Interesting. So when you send these payloads over, do you have like triplicate samples of these experiments or do you kind of try to get, have them do it in one run and see how it goes or how does that kind of work? Um, so it completely depends on the company that's sending the payload. Um, a lot of people think that all of the payload science is sent by NASA, and in fact, nearly none of the payload science is sent by NASA. So we ship it, we run it, obviously, but when I talk about payload developers, I talk about external companies that have developed these payloads to send to the International Space Station. A lot of times they're working with groups like the in-space manufacturing group that I worked with before I became a flight controller. So we were working with those companies to make sure that it met NASA's criteria to send it to the ISS. Um, so when we are talking with those people, they have a ground unit. They've had they have a unit that's been on a zero G flight, or as NASA likes to call it, the vomit comet. You know, so we have double, triple, quadruple, tens of the same experiment testing to see if our effects of zero G or micro G has affected the payload in the way that they thought it would, or in even ways that they didn't think it would. Um, any science is good science. That's what we say. Um, so it's just interesting how they'll look at it on the ground um, versus what actually is happening on the ISS. Um, and yeah, they have multiple of 
every single payload and a lot of times we have extras on board too in case something happens if there's an emergency or if something happens to the payload where we can't proceed or there's a hazard situation yeah so we have multiple usually of whatever the science is do you guys ever have failed experiments and how do you deal with them if they do fail um so defining failure <laughs> of an experiment is interesting because it's actually up to the payload developer to define their failure. Um, the only time that NASA will call off something is if it is hazardous to the crew, hmm. which happens. Um, sometimes um, a material oxidizes in space and they didn't expect it to and it's flaking off and now we have metal flakes, you know, and now we can't proceed because it's, it's hazardous to the crew because now we have metal flakes in a zero gravity environment. You're right. So um, de defining failure, <laughs> even even that payload, they were like, eh, it's fine. You know, we got some science. It's cool. So um, a lot of times, whatever they get out of it is still good, <laughs> which is good. Like any data um, is good, good for data. us because that means like it's not a... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not like a total loss of science. Uh, but yeah, it does happen sometimes. Um, I've been on console where we've had losses of data or, um, you know, any like something happens to the payload or something happens to the rack that it's in and the whole the whole rack needs to be closed off um which affects other payloads inside the rack so that wasn't even affected um so yeah it's it's interesting and a lot of times we just try to mitigate the loss as well as we can um but you know there are there's some losses not a lot though we do pretty good so can you speak a little bit more about the process to get a payload like you talked about these external companies and you know you mentioned nickelodeon you mentioned the barbie experiment i don't know if it was barbie the company that sent it but so you know what is the proposal process can i send a payload probably not but like just in general um, i don't know if you can so, um, <laughs> the short answer is yes um but the long answer is there's multiple ways to get a payload onto the iss um, what I was working with in the project office was through small be small business research initiatives, so SBIRs. NASA works with tons and tons of small companies trying to get um, their name in the space industry, right? So they will we will work with them on like a yearly basis or multi multi year basis and develop a payload. They will develop a payload and then we'll basically check off on their points and be like, okay, this is good, this is good, and then we send it, right? Um, so. The short answer being yes is that if you have the money. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, how, how expensive right, so is it like, usually? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, I just know that, like, the perfume bottle, before my time of working for the ISS, but the perfume bottle, they just sent the perfume bottle, they took pictures, and they sent it back. Like, that was the whole science. So they weren't, there wasn't, like, a science objective <laughs> other than just taking pictures, right? So the pictures were there science but they still got to send it right um but if you can argue that your science is actually benefiting space they're more likely to allow you to send it i guess um but really what it comes down to is money yeah so. that that's kind of interesting you mentioned objective um again this might be a dumb question but what is like the bigger picture goal of like sending all these payloads? Like, are we just trying to capture data? Are we trying to live in space? Like, why are we trying to figure out like all these science experiments? Um, so it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, personally, my goal 
um, with working with ISS, with working with the payload office, um, is to see if it's possible for people to live in space. We've we've proved that people can live in low Earth orbit, uh, but as crazy as it seems, we're very close to low Earth orbit. If there's a problem, we can get in the thing, we can come back. If they if they ran out of food, we can send more food. Like it's very close. If we are going to Mars on a nine month mission, one way, it takes nine months to get to Mars from the Earth. Um, those types of things are not going to be readily available. If there's a problem, they're going to have to fix it or something bad's going to happen. It's not just like a, oh, okay, something bad's happened. We're just going to go home, you know? So the idea that we can make life more sustainable on this earth or in space, um, is really the future. Honestly, I think that it is. And I think that the ISS has shown over the last 20 years that it's been up there, um, that we really can become an adaptable society and even maybe a spacefaring society in the future. Awesome, so exciting, we'll see. T TBD. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, working with these astronauts, can you, do you know how long they usually stay in space for? And do you work with a few specific astronauts or how many are there as well in there? Give, give some backgrounds on yeah, astronauts are usually on six-month missions to the International Space Station, um, sometimes longer, never shorter, really. Um, as with SpaceX consistently sending up astronauts for the crew launches, it's pretty much consistently six months at a time. Um, and they it varies how many are up there, um, but usually it's around six, five or six. Um, and whenever you're on console, you work with all of the astronauts that are US or ESA astronauts. So we do not work with the Russian side. Um, that's just because we don't, they don't touch our payloads and we don't touch theirs. Um, not because of anything, but just that's how we agreed on it. <laughs> um, they, they do come in the galley some and like eat with the crew and stuff like that. So they interact. Uh, we just don't touch each other's science. Um, so yeah, we work with all the astronauts. Um, and it depends on how many, how many procedures are happening that day, how much science is happening. Sometimes you'll have one of my position, the OC, or sometimes you have two. So we'll split it up, uh, whichever ones we're working on. So as the OC, are you kind of like headset tuned into all the astronauts? You can talk with them and that's how you're answering their questions? Or like, how are you communicating yeah. with them while they're doing all these science experiments? Hold on, I actually, I'm showing you my headset. I have it right here. Yeah, so, uh, here's my headset. Oh, it's so fancy. <laughs> yeah, so, um, it has, like, this little plug. And then on the other end of this plug is a handheld device, and then you just click it, and that's when you talk. So, um, as the OC, I talk to the PACOM, who then talks to the astronauts. I do not talk to the astronauts directly. My position does not do that. Uh, we are too stressed most of the time. <laughs> um, so um, we will talk to the operations director, which is the pod. Um, and then we will talk to the PACOM, who is the payload communicator, and they will take it to the astronauts. And they are the ones that talk to the astronauts. It sounds kind of similar to like, um, I'm familiar with like laborers in, in the field when I was working on power plants and there was like a supervisor who then would talk to the laborers kind of sounds a little bit similar. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how many payloads do you usually send up a year? Or I know it varies, but can you kind of give me an estimate? Um, so it, it depends on how much space we have. It depends on if they are payloads that need to be put in a rack. And it also depends on how many payloads come back. <laughs> um, I don't even know if I can put a number on it. It is, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, probably more than a hundred, more than several hundred probably. Because okay. sometimes payloads will just go up and then come right back down um, because they didn't need to be plugged into a rack or anything like that. It was just like a stored and then you bring it out and then you put it back. Like, I, ha I really have no idea. A lot. <laughs> so I wanted to ask for anyone listening who is super into NASA and like oh, is like, oh, this job sounds so cool. What is the typical background, if you're able to answer, of the people that you're working with? So whether it be like your position, the OCs, or like anybody else that's in your uh, room speaking with the control center and all this stuff. You know what's interesting is we have all kinds of backgrounds. Like, um, I think of the OCs, most of them are like biologists. We have two geologists. Oh, wow. Like, it is, it's not like a... It's usually a STEM field, but it's not exclusive to engineering at all. There was only, including myself, there's only four or five of us that were engineers at all. Um, it's kind of crazy, um, but it's more of like a mindset rather than a background. Um, however, NASA does prefer engineers um, or a tech person or like a physics, math, you know, that kind of situation um, if you're applying to be a flight controller. But yeah, definitely would probably suggest engineering <laughs> yeah that's super interesting so back to the payloads <laughs> I have one this is my last question about payloads um, no, you're <laughs> so if you could send any payload any experiment that you know maybe it has been done what what would you do you have the money to send it you have the proposal I don't know. I really like the organic payloads, um, which is funny because I worked on a lot of additive manufacturing payloads. I mean, like five, six, seven additive manufacturing payloads. Um, and like, that was what my background was in. So I get it, you know, whatever. But I would like want to send like a Monstera to the ISS oh and just gosh. like water this every four days <laughs> and see how big it gets, right? Like, can you imagine the leaves yeah. just like... It just like, it like explodes out in space or something, something so unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be crazy? Or just like, I don't know, a bird of paradise, like something that just is a big tree. <laughs> like, I think that would be cool as heck. I think that'd be cool. If I was the astronaut in space trying to take care of that science experiment, I would probably kill it no matter what, because I'm not going to take care of my plans. <laughs> Do you guys have uh, the app Planta? No, what is it? What? I think okay. I need to get okay, it. So I have like a ton of plants. Okay, so this tells you like water your plant this day or like tell me where you put it. Is there enough sun? Like it is, it's amazing. I just imagine the astronauts with like their iPads because they all have iPads. Just like, okay, we have to fertilize <laughs> the monstera today. Like in the <laughs> They're like, I don't even have plants at home. I have to... Yeah, they're like, oh, why did they make me do yeah. Actually, no, the, the astronauts always love the plants ones. They always love the plants. Yeah, same. Um, so my boyfriend, so this is a, a di digress, but um, I made a comment. I was like, oh, you never buy me flowers. And he's like, oh, well, I bought you the like these little cactus 
you know, cacti and they you killed them. So I didn't think you liked flowers. And I was like, it's so hard yeah, to kill I was cacti, like, that yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. And I was like, that is a good answer, honestly, though. I was like, I didn't even know you saw them. <laughs> he like, he got out of that yeah. one. He got out of that he one. Did. Okay, fair, fair, yes. fair. <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> so another general question, though, on plants. What is your favorite plant? Oh, my gosh. Orchid. Orchid's my favorite plant. Oh, I love beautiful. orchids. They are um, pretty. Yeah. I'm, I'm really liking houseplants. Like, recently just really got into houseplants. Like, I have, like, a watermelon pepperomia and, like, um, a monstera and a bird of paradise. And um, I, I can't think of what the actual names are because I named all of my plants. So I, like, know <laughs> the names. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We have, like, a snake plant. Like... Our, our bird of paradise is named Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> That's so funny. It's from a movie, The Power of the Dog. But um, not the point is I don't remember what they're actually called because I just remember their names. Um, pothos. So we have like three pothos. One is like really long. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've gotten really into plants recently. So that's weird. No, wait, this is <laughs> no, kind of a good, good transition because I wanted to ask, um, you mentioned the crazy sleep schedule and you said your advice for someone who wants to do this role is like, make sure you're good at changing your sleep cycles. So with this like crazy schedule, how do you maintain a work-life balance, if at all? And like, what, what do you do to keep yourself sane when you are at home and not being, you know, on call on the console? Um, I sleep a lot. Um, I try to remember that I am a human. <laughs> um, you know, uh, walks, hot girl walks. Oh yeah. Know, outside and <laughs> eating well, um, sleeping. That's the big thing. It's like make sure that you're sleeping enough, drinking enough water. Like, you know, the like like yourself is a little tamagotchi or like a tiny little <laughs> house plant. Just like water, water, walks and food. Okay. Water, walks and food. I always would kill my tamagotchis, you guys. This is not a good sign. <laughs> you're like talking to. Don't do it more, You're like okay. She can't keep a tamagotchi alive. She can't keep cacti alive. She's like, who am I talking to? <laughs> We're struggling. That's so funny. Um, but going back, so about the sleep, sleep schedule, I just realized we never really kind of talked about the shift schedules. And I kind of mentioned before that I know that it varies per site. Can you kind of give an overview of the time frames? Yeah. So um, Huntsville has three shifts and we have seven to three, three to 11, and then 11 to seven. Okay. So you have to get there an hour early. Whenever I would work on uh, the day shift, which is six to three, I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning to get there. Oh, sorry, seven to three. I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning because I had to be there at six o'clock to get ready on console for the shift. So I had to be ready there, prepared, have my prep sheet and everything done um, and be there at six to listen to the loops and to read the logs. So um, it's a lot. Yeah, (laughs) sounds like it. Um, Yeah, a lot of prep work um, and, and people who have been doing it for a long time like many years like they don't prep as much but since I hadn't been doing it very long I prepped like a lot like six to eight hours per shift before the shift like oh my gosh is a lot yeah wow. I was gonna ask what which, which shift do you prefer if any 
<laughs> um, I actually prefer the second shift, which is swings. So that's 3 to 11 p.m. That's my favorite shift. And then my second favorite shift is midnights. So 11 to 7. Um, I actually hated working days because I hate getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Don't blame you. Yeah. I, I'm not a morning person. I can't do it. And, like, when I get when I get to console, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And then I give my – we do a sit rep, which is, like, situation report. And, like, that's um, talking about what's going to happen that day for the operations director. Um, so, basically, you tell them everything that's going to happen before it happens um, and, like, pinch points that you're looking for and, like – all of the hazard levels and everything. So it's basically just like a full synopsis of the day um, to the pod, the payload operations director, before we even start. Um, so that was always given at like mm, 6.50, 6.45. And I was always just like sitting at the console before like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, I hope I don't mess up the sit rep and then like, like let's just get to the shift. Let's do it. <laughs> So are the same amount of people on site at each shift or does it vary like, you know, it's kind of a dead at night on like the third shift or how does that work? Yeah, so um, actually our, our, our day, or sorry, the astronauts day starts on the midnight shift. So you, at 11 p.m., the astronauts wake up at like 1 to 2 a.m. depending on what the, depending on whether we're in, um, uh, daylight savings time or not which is kind of funny uh but it varies um so they start their day at 6 a.m which is like two o'clock our time um so we midnight shifts are that's why i like midnight shifts so much is because it's like a slow start and then you get into the payload um and then the day shift is actually like a hot handover so the payloads the, the operations are already going and like there may be problems you know you don't know what's going on um so kind of walking into your shift blind is day shift and you're already like groggy cause six o'clock in the morning you know that's why i hated days so much um but my favorite shift is swing shift and we have less people in the room so we always only have one oc uh we don't have the um we don't have the stowage people we don't have the paycoms because the astronauts aren't awake at that time so that's when they're sleeping so we don't have the people that need to talk to them basically uh but we still have the data people the oc the director and our rack officers in case we have to send commands um so yeah, swings are always my favorite because it's more of like a planning situation. Uh, but then midnights, because <clears throat> that's when the day started. It was like a slow start. It was nice. <laughs> you mentioned in the beginning of our chat that you have had so many different roles, I feel like, while being at NASA. So is being um, a controller like your favorite one that you've had so far? Or how does this differ or vary from other um, roles that you've had? So when I was a co-op, I was doing additive manufacturing engineering, and that was really, really cool. Um, but actually, I think my favorite role was working in the project office doing payload development, um, working with the um, payload developers and their side with actually developing the payloads themselves and the science. And then I went on to be a flight controller to, un to better understand how those payloads are being, you know, effectively delivered to the station and getting the science from them. So I would actually kind of think that my favorite role was actually the development side rather than the actual flight control side. And then you mentioned earlier that you interned and then you also co-opt. Can you kind of talk about the difference in responsibilities? Like, were you able to get more into depth in your projects during the co-op? How did that kind of vary? Um, yeah, so NASA is pretty unique in the sense that we offer hundreds of thousands of internships. 
Um, and I was an intern in 2016. So an internship for NASA is usually on a summer. Some, we have lots of uh, semester ones, but most people do it in the summer. Um, it's 10 weeks. It's really cut and dry. Like you, you come to the center, you do your internship, you present, and then you leave. Um, so a co-op, the difference in the co-op is it's actually called the NASA Pathways. And this is the easiest way to get a full-time job at NASA. So um, the NASA co-op is you do your, your internship in a specific branch. And then the next time that you want to come back for your co-op, you do it in the same branch. So it's basically, I've been a civil servant since 2017 when I was hired as a co-op. And then when I was at school, I was just on leave without pay. So I was still a civil servant. Um, so it's basically you're a full-time, part-time, or you're a part-time, full-time person. Um, and when you're at school, you're just not working, basically. It's, it's kind of an interesting way to do it. But at the end of your co-op after you graduate, you get a full-time job. And you're a civil servant. Um, and it's, when I was doing it, it was guaranteed. Um, I think they've changed some of the rules now to where it's not so guaranteed, but it's pretty much guaranteed. Um, and that's the easiest. That's that's why you see so many young people working at NASA. They all went through the Pathways program. And the Pathways program has been around for years, like 30, 40 years. Is that something that you've always wanted to do? Like, were, were you someone who grew up and you're like, I'm going to work for NASA? Or like, who maybe introduced you to science and STEM and engineering <laughs> and all this this kind of stuff? Um so yes, um, I've always been the parent like, I want to work at NASA, like going down to vacations in Florida, like always begging my parents, like, let's go to Kennedy Space Center. But we never got to do it. Like I was in Florida so many times where they had, I heard the shuttle come back in, like it's sonic boom, come back into Florida. And that was so cool. Um, but my dad is, um, he really got me into, you know, engineering. He... <laughs> He made sure that I have a twin sister. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Um, we are identical, <laughs> uh, but he made sure that my twin and I always knew how to work on our cars. Um, so change tire, change oil, you know, the things that everyone should know how to do. But I was learning them when I was like four, five years old, just making, cause we just wanted to spend time with him. And that was what he loved to do. That was his fun hobby. Um, so he really got me interested in and making sure that I knew how to work my way around mechanical things. And it really just jump-started the engineering mindset in me and my twin sister. She also has a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. Um, and that, yeah, it really just like jump-started that. And I, I, like I mentioned before, I started in computer science, quickly figured out that I did not want to do that. Um, like I had mentioned, I am computer illiterate. <laughs> um, I couldn't even figure out how to connect my headphones uh, to my computer for this podcast. <laughs> Happens to the best um, of us. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I had took a coding class um, on my own, and I was like, wow, I hate this. Like, I hate this. So I quickly switched out of that, um, you know, jump-started in my maths and took, like, a bunch, like, double up on my math and took Calc 3 and Differential together. Um, I also took uh, Trig and Calc 1 together so I could, like, get ahead. Um, so I actually ended up putting me almost a year ahead of my sister. So I graduated a year ahead of my twin sister, who is six years, six minutes, excuse me, six <laughs> minutes younger than me. Not six years, excuse me, six <laughs> minutes younger than me. Um, so that was really interesting um, that we ended up being like so separated in our education because I literally just doubled up on math for one semester. Like it was crazy how that like snowballed into uh, graduation. But yeah, it was, it was my dad, really. 
Um, and I grew up in a really small place, uh, like 20,000 people, very small. Um, I think that's small. <laughs> I don't know where you guys live, but I think that's pretty small. Um, and I didn't really have any engineering women to look up to. Um, I do now. I have a lot to look up to now, but I didn't then. And when I was in school to be a mechanical engineer, I was the only mechanical engineer I, woman I knew. Um, and that was hard. Like, it was hard to be like, this is what I want to be, but I don't know if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, I haven't seen this done. I don't know if it's going to happen, you know? So that was, like, a really also big part of, like, why I wanted to pursue engineering was, like, I'm going to do this because I don't, I haven't seen anybody else do it. Like, I don't know anybody else that's done this, so I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> and, like, even when I was a senior in college, I was a class of 400 mechanical engineering student seniors. Like, we were all graduating together, 400, and there were 30 girls, and I was one of them. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. So, for, you know, any other girls that are experiencing the same thing, maybe it's not specifically in school, maybe it's in the workplace, what advice do you have for to, you know, handle that whole experience? Thick skin. <laughs> um... Uh, yeah, and that's something that I've really worked on developing. It's like I understand that being um, being a woman in mechanical engineering, being a woman flight controller, being a woman at NASA, being a woman in STEM is going to make me lonely. And that's fine because I found like this community online that I didn't even know existed um, over the last almost two years. Jeez, almost two years now. Um, and like that's made the world of a difference, like absolutely completely different. But even being at NASA, like NASA Marshall, where I'm at um, is nearly, it's like 40, 60. So like we're really close to having as many women women as men. Um, and that was really the first time I'd ever experienced that. It was crazy going from my community college to where I was the only girl in engineering, the only girl in engineering to, um, coming to NASA where there were 250 interns and 40% of them were girls. I was like, this is like, I've never even met another girl engineer. Like, this is amazing. Like I, I loved it. I I loved it so much. And like, I really just took that and kind of ran with it, you know, (laughs) to make sure that there are other girls out there that I know that only have Instagram to turn to in this kind of situation. Cause it's like me, they didn't have anybody else to look look up to or anything so like that was really like a huge part of me like figuring out how to be the best engineering me that I could be was a huge like Instagram was a huge part of that like it boosted my confidence like to see other girls also absolutely killing it you know and in what they're trying to do and like it just shows you that you are not alone and you're not alone like you just have to find that I guess I kind of wanted to ask because you have grown quite an impressive following on Instagram was there a significant time period where like you saw your account growing and you're like wow this is actually something that people are really resonating with like do you remember that time in your life <laughs> so okay I'll tell you a secret here um I have actually had my account for 10 years that's a long time so um so I my account is formerly Nail Art Ooh La La. Um, I have been running that account since I was 14. 
Um, I used to do nail art, um, and that's where I accrued most of my growth. Um, I start at, in 2020, I realized like, this isn't really me anymore. I'm working in a lab, I can't do my nails. So I made the switch um, to become a more STEM-focused, fashion-centric account. Um, but that's where my following has come from, which is why my engagement isn't so great, but <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but it's a very old account and I do it because I love it, not because of the followers, sure. truly. Um, yeah. So that, that's where most of my followers come from, but it's As fun. you flash your journey. fun nails to fun. us, I love your nail art today. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was gonna ask, did you did you do it on your own then? Um, no, I didn't okay. do these. Um, I have, and I have a, a wonderful, sweet artist here in Huntsville, and she's awesome. Um, I have decided that I am lazy. That's the <laughs> why I get my nails done, because I am lazy. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm lazy, and um, I'll send you guys some pictures of some of my old stuff. Um, when I got my NASA internship, I used to do really, really complicated acrylic, or sorry, not acrylic, um, is it acrylic paint? Is it the gel? Yes, acrylic paint, right? No, no, no. So so I would do it on my own nails. I used to have nails this long or longer. Okay. My own nails, which is insane. Um, but I would paint on them with, like, my sister's acrylic paint. Like, oh, and then like I would let it dry, paint? and then I would paint over it. I would do, yes, yes, super complicated, um, insane stuff. So when I got my NASA internship, I actually did a galaxy with NASA and the, in the, um, uh, the meatball logo, this one. Oh this my one. gosh! That's awesome. I'll I'll send it to, I'll send it to you so you can see it. it. It's it's one of my favorite ones, and that was that was probably one of the last times I did something super super complicated. Yeah, I was gonna ask, did you ever do any space themed? But now I'm excited to see. Oh yeah, yeah, I did lots of space themed stuff. I'll, I'll send them, I'll send them to y'all. Awesome. Well, Lexi, I don't have any other questions. So if you have if you have more questions. We did talk a lot oh about a wide variety. We covered a I lot. just I'm I'm fascinated by the payloads. Like I just keep envisioning like a Barbie doll <laughs> in space. It was it was crazy. So what's what's so funny about the Barbies, right? Is that they all so they were astronaut Barbies. Um, I actually have them up there. Not the ones that were in space, but like my own personal. <laughs> um, but uh, what was interesting about it is that the Barbie hair is flammable. Oh God. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, a lot of things are flammable in space. <laughs> a lot. Um, so we have non-flammable bags. Um, so they call them the Barbie pouches. <laughs> and it's literally just like a nylon bag, right? Like the Barbies get put in. But it was just so funny. At the end of the procedure, it was like, put Barbies in Barbie bag. Like Barbie <laughs> nylon pouch. <laughs> like that, like non-flammable Barbie container. Like I... Was, I wasn't even on console for that one, and I looked it up because I was laughing so hard. Because it was, it was the astronauts just, like, loading the Barbie <laughs> and, like, taking a picture, and they had them do, like, a voiceover and stuff. Like, it was it was cool. It was really cool. I just, it's just funny. Like, it's stuff that you wouldn't even think about, like, that you have to explicitly say, like, put the Barbies in the <laughs> nylon pouch so that their hair doesn't catch on fire. Like, yeah. <laughs> not the Barbie hair. <laughs> no, not the Barbie hair. So did did Barbie and like Nickelodeon and like that perfume company, did they use that content for like their social media? Uh, I can assume probably. Um, the perfume bottle and the slime was a very long time ago, like 
five or six years ago, so I don't, okay. I don't know. Um, and I don't know if the Barbie stuff has... Oh, I think it has. I think I saw a commercial uh, with some of the Barbie stuff uh, released. I'm totally going to uh, look it up but later. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, most of the time they use, use it for, like, media kind of stuff. And like I said, anybody really, if you have the money, can send whatever you want. Like, detergent companies have sent stuff into space and, like... They're like, here, take a picture with it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Libby, we got... They're not supposed to use it for marketing. Oh, I see. Because it's science. <laughs> but after it leaves the ISS, we can't do... We can't be like, now don't use that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't listen. It's fine. <laughs> let's make some merch, Libby, and send it up to space. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We get, we'll get. we start a GoFundMe. We'll make some funding. We'll send yeah. merch into space. <laughs> You should send it with um, Joan when she goes on the space. Oh yeah, we should. Um, Blue Origin flight. Yeah, you should be like, hey, will you send uh, my best friend's engineer podcast uh, sticker to the Blue Origin flight? Oh, that'd be cool. Shove it in my boot or something. I'll sneak it on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're allowed to bring like a bag of stuff. Like Cat, Cat Voltage. She was allowed to bring like a bag of stuff and just like it flew in space. You know. Yeah. That's awesome. It's crazy that all of my friends are going to space. I know. Do you have any plans? I know, right? Do you have any plans to go to space, though? No. Absolutely not. No. Is there no. is there a reason? Okay. or? <laughs> scares me to death. Um, I'm okay with being the one on the ground, like, yay, good job, you did it, woo, that's Pop awesome. Pop the champagne. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there at the end, on the ground. Watering my plants. <laughs> yeah. Watering my plants that obey gravity. Yeah. I, I obey no... gravity. I used to. I used to have an interest in going to space. Um, I I don't really anymore. Now it kind of scares me more than more than anything. Definitely. Not that there's anything to be scared of. I'm just a big baby. No, I feel that. I'd be scared too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm cool with working on it, but I would like to stay on the ground. Awesome. I get that question a lot. <laughs> People are always surprised that I say no. <laughs> no, it's valid. I completely agree. But we usually ask our guests one last question to close out. And that question is, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self? That's a great question. Um, a lot. <laughs> um, I, would, I would tell her a lot. Trying to think of something specific other than just a lot. Um, not to give up. There was a couple of times that I was like, "Ooh, is this worth it?" It is. It is. Um, I'd also tell her not to be um, married to your job. Mm. And I think I think that that's great advice for anyone. Um, and Libby, I know that you just left your job, um, and I admire that about you and I really am like trying to see what the future has in store for me um and it's kind of scary and Mm -hmm. your your content's actually been really inspiring to me recently um I really has um um and yeah I just make sure that she knew that her mental health was more important than literally anything mood a mood a big mood A big mood. Feel that. Awesome. I love that. Well, where can our listeners find you? 
um, on Instagram at at Astra Sue um, and TikTok at at Astra Sue. I don't really post on there, but we're working on it. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. And as always, we will leave all of Susie's information in the show notes. And thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. I think we had a great conversation and hopefully this will be really valuable for our listeners. I hope it will too. Thank you guys so much for having me. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that awesome interview. Now I know everything about payloads and now I'm going to put a savings account for my payload, which will be I don't even know what I would send. What would you send? Yeah, what would you send? Tell us what you'd send. Mm. I I really liked her lettuce thing, so maybe something crazy like that. I don't Uh know. I mean, some merch would be so fun. That would be, imagine that content. I know, right? (laughs) But, yeah. Would you have anything? Do you have any ideas what you'd send? Um, I wonder if I could send, like... Do you think it's, like, animal abuse if you send, like, a lizard or something up there? Like, I would want to know if an animal could be in space. Yeah. You know what I have been seeing on TikTok? The dog story that died in Mars. They sent it to Mars, I think, or they did something. They sent a dog it to Mars? It was so sad. Yeah. Oh. I don't know if it was Mars or it was somewhere. It was so sad, though. I was like... Oh, my God. I didn't know I that. Think- yeah, so I was like, maybe I won't send one. Oh, maybe I wouldn't send that. But then, okay, my inanimate object um, response would be, I think I would want to send, like, makeup up there and see yeah, what would happen. Because what isn't it, like, liquids, when you open them in space, they're, like, all weird? Yeah. I would want to know if people could put, like, Ooh. liquid foundation on. Yeah, you know what I'd send? I'd send my soup. I love soup for our listeners. Soup! I can't really cook. You love soup! All I would I would get home at from school and people would be like, uh, do you? Somebody would make me mac and cheese. Like, can you eat something that's solid? My like, thing was mac and cheese. Can you your make thing was it? Soup. <laughs> yeah, I just loved a good tomato soup after coming home. Like after going out, that was my thing. It was so mm, funny. The too. best drunk so food, random. tomato soup. Got a trademark it. So let me let me slurp it up. Put a straw. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So I hope every, that's what we send. <laughs> I hope everyone right now is picturing you slurping up drunk tomato soup right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bonus points if it's Auntie Anne's bunny noodles. <laughs> oh, that's the best kind of soup though. It really is. I know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I love that interview. I am so excited to see more from Suzanne in the future. So go make sure to look at her Instagram, her TikTok. Yeah, and um, I, th- I, I don't know. I just I love talking to people in new industries because I feel like, and we, we say this so much, but any engineering job in any industry, you, like, first day, first few months of the job is literally, like, learning a whole new vocabulary. And I feel like I could totally see that in, like, her responses when she was talking about, like, payloads and stuff and on console. I'm like, I don't even really know what all this means, but that's crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to have to ask because if we get too far into it, It'll be just like thermo class where I just sit there and I pretend what's happening. I know what's smile going and wave. <laughs> smile and wave, boys. <laughs> All right. With that, awesome. I think we well, can probably close out the episode. Just last minute remarks. Make sure you guys are sharing the podcast. Go ahead and leave us a rating and review if you like this episode. What What else am I missing here? Facebook group. Join the Facebook group. Yes, I love the Facebook group. It's been popping off. We did some coffee for the 4th of July last week, so make sure you go um, go check it out. And you can find that all on our Instagram, at my best friends and engineer. Same thing as our TikTok. 
But what is our YouTube, Libby? Tell us. Tell us what our it is. Our YouTube is BFE Podcast. And where Amazing. can listeners find you, Lexi? You can find me at Engineer Lexi on Instagram and TikTok. Where can they find you? You can find Libby at Libby Beyond the Label on Instagram <laughs> and TikTok. And with that, Amazing. I think we can close it out. You want to you wanna take it away? Oh, yeah. All right. I'm Lexi. And I'm Libby. And, and thanks, thanks for listening, listening to my best to my friend and engineer. Bow, bow, bow.